We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. I'm your host, Andrew Freeman, and for the second episode in a row, I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer Usain Koshal. Uh, Usain, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on here again. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, we're recording this episode on Thursday, October 1st, following that crazy come-from-behind victory on week three against the Atlanta Falcons. Just a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, Usain, what were your thoughts on the game and how are you feeling now that we got Foles in there as a starting quarterback going forward? Original thoughts on the game were kind of everything I expected it to be. I mean, listen, the Falcons, they have been this kind of team even before that 28-3 to lead that they blew in the Super Bowl. We've always known that when you have a prolific passer like Matt Ryan leading the way, what happens is you are going to be an offensive powerhouse. You combine that with some nice pieces that they've got and Hayden Hurst, and then Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. And you know that it's going to be an attack that has the potential to put up 25, 30 points easily in a game. But then you look at the defensive side of the ball, and there are a hell of a lot of holes. And so, really, it was everything I expected it to be. I know that we obviously know the Falcons are notorious for blowing big leads. The reality is that the one major red flag to me was not even the quarterback play. It was just like, all right, so – why is it that a team that has Allen Robinson that has supposedly figured that spent basically the whole off season figuring out the tight end position had like 10 or 11 tight ends on the roster? Why is it that we're sitting here? We were sitting here back in like July and August talking about well breakout season for David Montgomery. Well, Anthony Miller's finally a guy that's got his head right. Like wide receivers coach Mike Fury said, why is it that this was a team that had to ha- like? None of the playmakers just legitimately seem to show up in the first half. I know a lot of people want to blame the refs, but the reality is it's, it's like, listen, the refs year in and year out are obviously, they're not where they used to be compared to 15, 20 years ago. The quality of the refing seems to get lower and lower. The reality is you can't go ahead and just blame everything on the refs. Like the Robin, the interception where Robinson Robinson was picked off in the end zone. Usually that should be in favor of the offense. This time it wasn't. You can't complain. You just have to get back up and go with the next play mentality. So there's another one of those games that where Matt, Matt Nagy is essentially like, hey, listen, we have room for improvement. The Bears are one of the worst 3-0 teams in the NFL. I know I'm being like one of the national media guys here, 
but it's just the reality because the first three games of the season and including this Falcons game, we should have easily won in blowouts. But right now, we are more in pretender category than contender category. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned the defense for the Falcons. Not only, you know, going into this game did the Falcons have one of the worst, if not the worst defense in football, at least when you look at them uh, statistically, but they had a heck of a lot of players out due to injury already. So you look at Tech McKinley was out, their number one edge rusher. Uh, they had a couple guys in the secondary that were out, including including A.J. Terrell, their first-round pick at cornerback. Uh, you know, this is a game where I, I mentioned on Twitter, the Bears did score 30 points in this one. That would uh, put immediate red flags uh, in terms of this offense going forward in the season because they had a rough game against the Giants, at least in the second half. Couldn't get anything going on offense there. And then that kind of carried over into the first half we saw on Sunday. And, you know, with the referees, I mean, I, I get the, uh, the roughing the passer calls. I, I don't like it because, you know, at some point I, I'd like to see, uh, you know, you got to be able to hit the quarterback, I guess. I mean, what are you supposed to do if you're a defensive player? And, you know, you're going full speed and you basically have to adjust, you know, at, at a split second. On, on some of these plays to avoid roughing the passer. You know, I, I feel bad for them, but that's the way it's officiated nowadays with the rules and, and everything. So you got to adjust and, you know, especially with that, that second one with Akeem Hicks. I mean, that's one that's completely avoidable, I think, in terms of um, falling on the quarterback with your full body weight. And that was still, still early in that drive. That was a touchdown drive eventually. That was the last time the Falcons scored a touchdown in the game. Um, after that, the defense was rock solid after that drive. They were really dominant in that second half once, um, you know, really once they made the switch to Nick Foles at quarterback, I felt like is when the defense really started to get into gear a little bit. But, uh, yeah, you make, a, you make a lot of good points there. The Bears, they still have a lot to figure out. They have a tough test coming up against the Colts. That's going to be an exciting game to watch. But transitioning to the topic of today's episode – uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff going on in college football. I know we can probably go on all day about the Bears and what their matchups going to look like uh, next week, but uh, we got some things to talk about in this podcast as it pertains to the Big Ten, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. Some of those conferences uh, getting back to playing this year, which we're going to be covering here, and also we got to recap some of what we've seen so far in this college football season and and preview what's coming up next week. There's a lot of exciting games and a lot of players to watch out for in this upcoming weekend slate of games. We, before we get into all of that, though, we're going to take a step away real quick for a quick word from our sponsor. Support for this podcast comes from Beautiful Home Services. For home improvement, trust the award-winning, locally owned and operated provider who has served the DMV area for over 15 years. Beautiful Home Services offers interior and exterior painting, bathroom and kitchen remodeling, basement finishing, carpentry, drywall, and other general remodeling services. We make home improvement dreams a beautiful reality. Learn more at BeautifulHomeServices.com. That's BeautifulHomeServices.com. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Uh, the first thing talking about here is the Big Ten, the Pac-12, we talked about them a little bit. You said in our last episode here at Picks for Pace how, you know, their schedule for the fall season was a little bit undecided. It's kind of sounded like they were going to go to the spring. Um, some things have changed over the past couple of weeks. And right now, it seems like at this point, unless something changes, that both conferences are going to play in the fall. And the Big Ten, they've already got a schedule out there already. So – you know, starting with the Pac-12s here, since they're kind of a little bit more in the planning stages right now, uh, the Pac-12 is planning on doing a seven-game schedule in conference uh, starting on November 6th. So we'll see. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if they have their full slate of games revealed yet, but that's going to be something to look out for in the next upcoming weeks or so here in October. And then for the Big Ten, they released their eight-game schedule, which is all in conference as well, starting October 24th. So looking at these games here, there are a couple games that I'm very excited about, but just in general, now that we got some clarity on the Big Ten and Pac-12 being back for the fall, uh, what are your thoughts on this development you said, and what are some of the things that you're looking forward to for this upcoming fall season 
uh, in these conferences. So original thoughts are it's always awesome to be able to have college football back because that's kind of the gap between we've got the NFL on Thursdays, you've got some college on Friday, a lot Saturdays, all day college football, NFL on Sunday. It's great to see that the Big Ten and the Pac-12, that they were kind of able to follow the leads of the SEC, for example, who basically straight up said, well, look, we're not going to cancel the season unless we absolutely need to. And it's awesome to see, like, Big Ten, like I said, Big Ten Pac-12 being back is great because what tends to happen is this, is that every single year from these conferences, from any conference, you tend to have a couple players that, let's just say, Someone would have been going into the year as a third-round starter, right? What happens is now all of a sudden he's played a full season. He's shown that I'm good enough, I'm talented enough to play in the NFL. Now you have that player. Well, he's not just going from being like a third-round guy. His draft grade, where he's projected to go, is all of a sudden increasing into the second round. You have some of these fringe first-round guys that are – likely probably going to go in the second round all of a sudden you have people making arguments that well this guy's good enough to go into round one too so it's awesome to see it's going to be fun to see some of these guys increase their draft stock because quite frankly like we know you have in this draft class we know we've got Rondale Moore and guys like Devontae Smith etc those types of players those are the ones that you're like all right well this guy's going round one for sure but then you also have these fringe guys that like I've said you know they play a full season granted this year the season's going to be much smaller it's a much smaller sample size but still great to see players getting an opportunity and increase their draft stock yeah I mean we saw it last year Joe Burrow I think before the year was probably projected as a fifth sixth round pick probably a guy that a lot of scouts had as a backup quarterback at best and next thing you know he's having this historic season and he's the number one overall pick um, so you never know what can happen with some of these guys. Sometimes it just takes a little bit to just have things click for some of these players. And I'm excited. Like you said, I agree. I'm excited to see what these guys can do uh, with, you know, not a full season, but a good slate of games. Nonetheless, eight games in conference plus conference championship uh, should be a lot of fun going forward. So, you know, I looked ahead at the schedule here, looking at the big 10 schedule and there are a lot of games that I think we have to be circling our calendars for looking up for this upcoming season. And I'll start off with one of them, which is Ohio State and Penn State on Halloween. Uh, so that is a very exciting one. That's going to be in week two of the Big Ten schedule. And to me, I don't know if you agree with this, agree with this or not, but to me, these are the two best teams in the Big Ten when you look at just pure talent. Um, you know, you look at Ohio State, they got Justin Fields, who uh, is going to be looking to solidify his spot as a top 10, even top five pick as the second best quarterback in this draft class, potentially. Uh, you got Chris Olave, his wide receiver, Sean Wade at cornerback, Wyatt Davis there at the offensive line position, a very good uh, guard prospect for Ohio State. And they got Penn State, and they have a lot of talent as well. Uh, it doesn't sound like Mark Micah Parsons. Uh, their linebacker at Penn State is going to be playing for them this season. It looks like he's going to be opting out and training for the NFL draft. But you still got guys like Patrick Patrick Fryermuth, tight end there, who is going to be one of the guys that's most talked about in this draft class for a loaded group of tight ends in this upcoming draft. And the guy that I'm really most excited to see is Jason Away, defensive end for Penn State. Uh, just a absolute freak show as a athlete at that edge spot, a guy that has a lot of upside, hasn't had a lot of chances to really show out and show his talent yet. But now with an eight-game schedule, he's a guy that could be a very fast riser because he has all the tools that you're looking for in a pass rusher in the modern-day NFL. And I know that the Bears, you know, they just spent a lot of money going after a guy like Robert Quinn to still clear Mack on the roster. Uh, but you can never have too many pass rushers in today's NFL. And if they have the chance to potentially uh, get a guy like away at some point, at some point, in this upcoming draft. I mean, that is something that you have to keep in mind going forward. Totally agree with that. And you mentioned this Penn State versus Ohio State matchup on Saturday, October 31st. I think really when you look at it, you mentioned all those guys that are playing for Ohio State. I think that when you have guys like Fields and Sean Wade and Chris Olave, all those guys are going to be 
end up being, I think, like going on day one and day two. Now, for me, I look at the other side. I look at Penn State and realize, you know what? I want to see most – I'm going to be watching this game to see what can Pat Priermuth, the tight end, do. Because right now, I believe that he is in conversation for tight end one, as is Kyle Pitts of Florida or Brevin Jordan of Miami. It all depends on what you have your rankings as. Another guy I'm interested in seeing would be linebacker Michael Parsons. Why – you could legitimately make the argument that he's the best linebacker prospect to potentially come out since a guy like Roquan Smith, for example, who we saw come out in 2018. So that's a matchup has loaded with lots of first and second round prospects that you have to circle because you need to watch that game. Absolutely. Uh, another one on the schedule I have here is Minnesota and Wisconsin on November 28th. That's going to be another interesting one because uh, Penn State and Ohio State, those are two teams in the Big Ten East. Those are the two best teams, I think, out there. In the Big Ten West, I think the two best teams are Minnesota and Wisconsin. And, you know, Wisconsin lost a lot of talent this year. When you look at Jonathan Taylor at running back, uh, you look at Zach Bond on the defensive side of the ball, and then you look at, uh, you know, their offensive line. They lost some offensive linemen as well at Wisconsin. But they're always a good team year after year, and uh, they always have some talent to uh, potentially, you know, go out there for the NFL. And Minnesota, on the other hand, uh, they got, you know, I think a guy that's going to be probably gunning for a first-round spot as a wide receiver prospect, and that's Rashad Bateman, a uh, very talented wide receiver. You also have Tanner Morgan at quarterback. Uh, just a lot of talent on both of these teams. And uh, it'll be interesting because Minnesota had a bit of a breakout season last year. They're very much an up-and-coming program right now. Uh, I'm very curious to see if they can carry that over into another season here in 2020 and see if they can build off of that momentum here against a very established Wisconsin program that year after year you're looking at are always in the conversation as a top 10 team in the nation and seem to always put together competitive squads uh, against, you know, a, a variety of quality competition. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned some of the wide receivers. I think when I look at the Big Ten this year, both East and West, in terms of the wide receivers, I think the receivers that are expected to come out this year are amongst the most talented that I've seen in recent memory, just Big Ten specific. Because you have Bateman, you have Rondeau Moore, too, and then you combine that with a guy like Chris Olave, who I've spent the summer watching. I really like him. You add in a guy like Amir Smith Marset, so and then Nico Collins too for Michigan. So really Big Ten this year has a couple of intriguing wide receivers. We know the big who the big three are, like I just mentioned. But I'm also interested in seeing, you know, what does a guy like Collins or Smith Marset do to raise their stock? And those are guys that I believe that Chicago needs to kind of keep an eye on. Not because wide receiver could be a glaring need, but just because in this league and the Chiefs have shown this, you can never have too many pass rushers. And I believe that whoever is the quarterback next year, whether it's Foles or this year, rookie, right, et cetera, or whatever it is, they're going to have to add more pass catchers to the roster. Yeah, and, and kind of moving on from the Big Ten, um, I guess we got to talk about the Pac-12 once more because with them playing, we're going to see some of the top prospects in that conference playing. Uh, it's still unclear. I, I'd have to look back and see, you know, all the players that have opted out so far. But I, I think the top guy that we'd be looking for in the Pac-12 would be Panay Sewell, if he was playing uh, this upcoming season. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe Sewell is still playing. I don't, I don't know if he opted out as of yet. If, if he does choose to play, uh, he is, I, I should say, regardless of whether he chooses to play or not, he's the guy that I think most of us are looking at as the top tackle prospect in this upcoming draft class. Uh, he's been on a lot of scouts radars for a lot of years. And it would be exciting to get some more tape on him in a year where uh, we know that he's going to be the bona fide number one guy coming out at that offensive tackle position uh, in next year's draft. Definitely. I think with Sewell, he's only like 20 or 21 years old, but he's certainly intriguing because you have a lot of people right now. First things first, I think he originally had opted out. Now I've not heard anything about him potentially opting back in. But is interesting because what you have is this, and I firmly believe this, you have a lot of people saying, you know what, Trevor Lawrence is the best prospect to come out since Andrew Luck, the best quarterback prospect. And so he is, without, without a doubt, he's the number one prospect in the 
2021 NFL draft. But I think that for a lot of people, too, you could certainly make the case that just talent-wise, Sewell's up there, too. Now, is Sewell going to get to the next le- I believe that Sewell, when he gets to the next level, he's going to have an impact set similar to Trevor Lawrence at the quarterback position. Obviously, these guys play two different positions. Sewell will end up being the face of an offensive line for years and years and years to come. But the reality is that, like, right now, I think you could make an argument that Sewell's easily the best prospect in this class, too. If he's not your number one, he's got to be your number two. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it looks like the Bears are going to be out of play for being high enough in this draft to take a guy like uh, Panay Sewell. Um, I, I, it's, you know, so far the Bears' offensive line in 2020 has actually played very well. Charles Leno and Bobby Massey have both been pretty solid at tackle. So compared to what we were thinking a year ago, where I know a lot of Bears fans were thinking that tackle was a you know huge need for this Bears team, both in the short term and long term, it looks like short term the Bears were going to be are going to be fine in terms of being able to have two quality tackles on their roster for the next two years or so. But long term, you look at Massey being uh, you know over the age of thirty, you don't know how many years he has left. Charles Leno, he's starting to get up there. As well, he's still in his prime, but uh, you don't really know how many years he has left at a in his prime uh, years. So tackle is going to be interesting conversation for the Bears going forward. Um, I'd say if the Bears were in a position to get a guy like Sewell, you have to you have to take him because you can again you have to get that true franchise left tackle. I think on your roster, even though Leno and Massey have been pretty solid so far, but. We'll see how that plays out. Sewell's a, a special talent, and, you know, if if he somehow is available to the Bears, he's a guy that, you know, you're running up to the table with your pick in, and you're not leaving any questions about it. You're taking a guy like Sewell. Yeah, totally agree. But I will say this. I think that when we, if Ryan Pace is here next year, by the way, and this is the issue with this Bears team is that there are just too many question marks like lots of ifs, right? So if Pace is here next year, when you look at his track record of kind of drafting, he's never taken it. He's had, what, four first-round picks, right? He's never taken an offensive lineman in round one. His two biggest investments in that area have come in round two with Cody Whitehair and James Daniels. Those are the only two drafted starting offensive linemen that are on the Bears roster right now. I think that when you look at it, I would not be surprised since they do have a pick in round one, two, next year that you potentially take an offensive tackle like Jalen Mayfield or Rashawn Slater who's a local prospect Sam Cosme from Texas one of these guys next year in round one or two to just shore up that position because you at this point you have to think past Massey you have to think past Leno who's going to be the guys that step in and replace them yep yeah sure up that offensive line and there are some talented players in this upcoming draft class where you can take some shots on some guys and and see if they work out, maybe put them on the bench for a year or two and see if they can develop a little bit and see what you have. Uh, so we're going to move on from the Big Ten and Pac-12 coming up here. There were some games this past weekend and a couple others in the past up in the past weeks that we're going to talk about just a little bit, discuss some of the players that have really impressed us so far in the early goings of this 2020 college football season. Uh, before that, we're going to take another quick break, though, from a word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Um, moving on to some of the games that we've seen over the last couple of weeks and uh, you know some of the players that have started to impress us so far in the season. I think we have to start up with the SEC, which we talked about a little bit early in our last segment, how the SEC, they started their first games last weekend. And it was pretty exciting. I felt like to see uh, some of the games that took place. I think the one that really stands out the most, you say it, is uh, – the one with Florida here, Kyle Trask, quarterback of Florida. He's a guy that he's, he's been on uh, a lot of people's radars as a quarterback to look out for in this upcoming draft. 
six touchdowns past Saturday with four of them going to this tight end. We also talked about Kyle Pitts, who just had a dominant performance out there. And this is huge because Kyle Trask, we know about the top three quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class with uh, Lawrence, Fields, and Trey Lance at North Dakota State. But there really hasn't been anyone that has established themselves as that fourth quarterback that teams might be able to look for maybe uh, in the later parts of the first round or even second round. You know, there's really a huge drop-off once you get past the top three quarterbacks in this draft. And if Kyle Trask can continue to play like he has been, or like at least like how he did in week one of the SEC season, he's a guy that could potentially establish himself as that fourth quarterback. And not only to mention Kyle Pitts, maybe becoming the top, the clear cut top tight end in his draft class as well. Yeah, so watching that Florida Ole Miss game, it was like, okay, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts, Kyle to Kyle combination. These guys are easily the two best players on your offense right now. You could certainly make the argument of the team. I saw some stuff on Twitter, Dane Brugler saying, hey, Trask is not the next Joe Burrow, but he could have a Joe Burrow-like rise. I think that that's 100% true. I was also really encouraged by the performance of Kyle Pitts. I was high on him going into the season. Looking at him now, I would definitely say that Pitts is a guy that you look at the way the tight end positions evolved. There's absolutely no reason to think that this kid can't be tight end one going into next year. And I think right now, quite frankly, I know I mentioned Freermuth as an argument for tight end one. You could also seriously make the argument that tight end one is Kyle Pitts' job to lose. But yeah, Trask and Pitts, definitely, you know, those are two of the biggest risers that I think we're just going to continue to see throughout the season. So it's going to be exciting to watch both of those guys. Yeah, Pitts is very interesting for me because uh, when you look at the Bears' tight end situation, uh, Cole Komet, he fits more of that traditional wide tight end role, whereas Pitts, you would imagine he'd be the perfect U tight end for Nagy's offense. Uh, you know, we have Jimmy Graham holding down that spot right now, but Jimmy Graham, he's up there in age. It's possible that he'll be a cap casualty next season, you know, and they need a young guy at that U spot uh, to take over there eventually. And Pitts, you know, he doesn't really play a lot of inline tight end anyway. He's really mostly just uses a big wide receiver pretty much, and that's perfect for Nagy's offense. So he's a guy that has potential to be a huge mismatch problem, I think, for the Bears' offense. And if the Bears are in a position where – uh, they'll, they, have, they can take a tight end like Pitts, even in the first round. And if he's the best player available on the board, you know, I, I think because of the extra – what the dimension he brings to this offense is something that would be invaluable, I, I think. So I definitely think you go ahead and you pull the trigger on a tight end next year for sure because, like we've said a couple times on the show, it's too good of a class to pass up on. I think that when you look at this tight end class – you look at kind of the way the Bears personnel has moved. So you have Montgomery. He's going to be your running back, right? I think that you could run a lot of 12 personnel, similar to what Philadelphia does with Zach Ertz and Dallas Potter. That would be really encouraging to see because having those two tight ends, you never know who's going to get the ball. Komet, he's going to need to figure out, like, how to become just a much more effective receiver. But adding a guy like Pitts would give you that this Bears offense with Nagy that true mismatch weapon that we hope guys like Trey Burton and Adam Shaheen would be. And by the way, like I am higher on, you know, Pitts, I think that can come in and from day one, he can have a bigger impact than Burton or Shaheen was ever expected to have. So that's why, like you said, if there's opportunity to pull it on a trigger on a tight end, you got to take it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Speaking of offense, the one game I wanted to touch on real quick, uh, kind of moving on from Florida here, uh, <laughs> has to be Mississippi State versus LSU, which, you know, you look at Mike Leach coming into the SEC and bringing the air raid over from Washington State. Um, KJ Castello, who is a transfer quarterback from Stanford, he's a guy that has been some on some guys' radar as a potential late-round quarterback draft pick, a guy who had, you know, a few years starting at Stanford. Uh, to me, he never really stood out in that system there. They were more of a traditional, uh, you know, offense there at Stanford's more of a run-based offense there. But going to the air raid under Mike Leach, who he's just going to throw the ball and every single play, he's going to look to throw the ball basically. Costello threw for 623 yards 
against the defending national champions. I know LSU lost a lot of talent on their defense this past season, so they're not the same team. But still, the defending national champions, uh, perennial top 10 team in the nation, Costello's out there, and he was dealing, I thought, for the majority of that game. And keep in mind, this is the first time, I believe, uh, that an SEC quarterback has thrown for 600 yards in a game. So I'm very excited to see how this offense works going forward. Uh, Mike Leach, he's one of the best offensive minds in college football. Uh, His offenses every single year put up huge numbers in the passing game. And you look at the quarterbacks that he has developed over the past couple of years. I know there was always that uh, stigma about air raid quarterbacks maybe like a decade ago, but we've seen over the past couple of years with guys like Gardner Minshew, who has taken on that role with the Jacksonville Jaguars and has kind of established himself as a low-level, starting-level quarterback in the NFL as of right now. And then Anthony Gordon this past year, this past draft, he's currently, I think, on a practice squad for the Seahawks, but he was a, a guy that a lot of people were excited for in the draft process there, even though he went undrafted. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Costello develops over the season and whether Mike Leach can get the most out of him and maybe raise his draft stock a little bit. Right. I totally agree with everything you just said. And the moment you mentioned Costello and Air Raid, I was like, you know what? Gardner Minshew and Anthony Gordon are two of the most notable examples of kind of the Air Raid elevating quarterbacks play and Leach's team being so effective. I think ultimately when you look at it, Costello's certainly the of the three, right, between Gordon and Minshew and Costello, Costello's certainly the most interesting because if I remember correctly, he was at Stanford before he transferred over to Mississippi State for kind of his Richard senior season. But he's, I think overall, just like, I did not watch much of that game, watched some of the highlights and whatever tape I could find. When looking at this Costello leech ring, I do believe that Costello's going to have a rise. I think that he is going to kind of end up being like a third, fourth round guy in general. Whereas before a lot of people may have had him going in like fifth or sixth round, et cetera. Right. Or even seventh round or undrafted. But the point is, is that Costello, someone he's going to rise, but the question is, is how much will he rise? And will that be able to translate over to the NFL? Because I think when you look at like Minshew, for example, who is a starter now, Minshew's rookie season, he had John D. Filippo, who was one of the best quarterback coaches in the game. The question is, is, is Costello going to land in a situation where he's got a bona fide, you know, a great quarterback coach like D. Filippo, for example, to help him develop? And then will he also get the opportunity to go ahead and start? Because ultimately, we know this, that if Nick Foles doesn't break his collarbone, collarbone in Jacksonville, Garter Minshew is still on the bench, and we're not even talking about Minshew Mania and whatnot. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Opportunity is is, is definitely something that uh, a lot of these guys that get picked in the later rounds, they need – sometimes you need that lucky break, and it's all that some of these guys get sometimes. Even Tom Brady, he, the greatest quarterback of all time, you needed Drew Bledsoe to get hurt in order to get his opportunity, and he took advantage of it. Uh, the thing with Costello for me, uh, just looking, I haven't done a full study on Costello to really get my final thoughts on him or at least a a true uh, secure opinion on who he is as a prospect yet. But just looking at him uh, in the limited tape that I've seen of Costello, the thing that separates him, I think, from guys like Minshew and Gordon, is, uh, especially Minshew, is Minshew has a great ability to improvise uh, outside of structure that Costello just doesn't seem to have. Uh, Costello is more of that prototypical pocket passer, kind of more similar to a Nick Foles, you'd say, although I'm not sure if Costello has quite the arm talent as Nick Foles, although Nick Foles doesn't have a crazy arm or anything like that. But Nick Foles can certainly throw a, a beautiful deep ball. Uh, that, that's for sure. We saw that this, this past Sunday. Um, so that'll be the one interesting for me because Garner Minshew, uh, he kind of has those – intangible traits where he can kind of make plays off script and uh, you know, run around in the backfield and improvise and uh, kind of make your offense a little bit more exciting and more unpredictable because Costello, when you have a true pocket passer like that, uh, you're going to need to be, you know, dead on accurate with a lot of your throws and you're going to need to be very good with your timing and just your ball placement and with your processing in general. So those are some of the things that, I'm going to be looking for in Costello, see if he can develop those things this upcoming year. 
uh, because he's not going to be a guy that's going to be uh, <laughs> running the read option and uh, getting a bunch of yards with his feet scrambling and things of that nature. He's going to need to be effective from the pocket and as a pocket, true pocket passer. So that's going to be the, the m- number one thing for me. And if he can develop that, I think that will really help him going into next year's draft. Yeah, definitely. So I think right now, like just, you know, looking at a lot of these quarterbacks, just the draft in general, like, you know, you have Lawrence and Fields and obviously Trey Lance is playing a game this weekend. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. But I feel like this is a year where we have a hell of a lot more guys that can, can be considered risers compared to years past, because you see a lot of people, oh, well, Jamie Newman's a guy with solid season at Wake Forest last year, transfers all the way to Georgia. Some people are like, oh, well, Brock Purdy could be a riser. We talked extensively about Kyle Trask. I mean, and then the quarterback we just talked about, KJ Costello, he's another one that I think a lot of people have as someone that can rise. So overall, like when we look at this quarterback class, like you have, you know, Lawrence and Fields and Trey Lance, but then there's a whole bunch of other guys that you could legitimately look at and realize, and I'm not going to say there's like, okay, eight franchise quarterbacks and seven or eight in an NFL draft, because that's never going to happen. But the reality is that this is one of those years where you're like, all right, you know what? If Nick Foles is the bridge going into next year, then you could certainly, you know, draft one of these guys and Nagy can kind of take that young player to develop and then turn him into what needs to happen post Nick Foles. Yeah, that's the that's the big question for the Bears because we know now that Trubisky has been benched that we know for a fact that he is not the answer long term. Uh, they're going to have to look for a quarterback in the draft. You'd think at some point uh, to uh, be their franchise guy. And you know, Nick Foles is what he is. You know, he's a solid uh, player in my opinion. He's a good low level starter, quality. You know, if not the best backup in the NFL, probably the best backup quarterback in NFL history when you're looking at it at this point. But, uh, you know, he's going to be the starter here for the rest of this season, and he's guaranteed to be here next year. So you got two years at least of Nick Foles, whether he's a starter or backup. Um, and beyond that, the future really is <laughs> unknown at this point at the quarterback position for the Bears. So uh, whether it be in this draft this year or in the draft next year or the year after that, uh, quarterback's going to have to be a top priority for this team at some point. And you look at where the Bears will be positioned uh, in this next draft in 2021, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to be high enough to go after a guy like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance in the first round. Uh, They're going to need to take a chance on one of these later round quarterbacks potentially and, and see if they can work out uh, not not really as a franchise quarterback back, but uh, maybe as a guy that can be a, a quality bridge starter for them until they find that that true franchise quarterback. Because you know you don't want to leave that quarterback position bare of talent, um, especially young talent going forward. And if KJ Costello or Kyle Trask can be that type of player for them, you know I'd say it's worth taking a chance and rolling the dice and, and seeing what happens here. Yeah, you know, kind of add on one more point. Like, so when Pace got here six years ago, it's hard to believe that it's been that long. He kind of talked about drafting a quarterback every single year. And then someone back at the 2019 season ending press conference in January asked him, he's like, oh, yeah, like, Ryan, irrespective of Mitch, why have you not selected a quarterback? Because the only quarterback Pace has drafted to this day has been Trubisky. And then Pace's answer was kind of, well, just the way that the board falls in the situation and kind of the value of the pick and whatnot, et cetera, that kind of stuff and draft philosophy. So the reason I bring that up now is because we're talking about, you know, Trask and Costello and all these guys potentially being guys that the Bears should be looking at. But the question is also going to be like, now that you have Maggie influencing what Pace is going to do, will Pace actually select his second quarterback like in one of the mid rounds? That's going to be one thing to watch out for. So like everyone's focused on Lawrence and Fields and Lance, but like, don't forget about Newman and Trask and KJ Costello as well, because these are all guys that with Nagy here now, we could potentially see Pace finally pull the trigger on one of these like mid round quarterbacks. Yeah. Nagy hasn't had the opportunity to really get his guy, I think in the draft at the quarterback position, you know, Nagy's been, I think, a big influencer on 
Ryan Pace's draft picks at wide receiver over the past couple of years. When you look at Darnell Mooney, Anthony Miller, Javon Williams, Riley Ridley, uh, they brought in a lot of wide receiver talent. And I think Nagy was a huge influence, influencer on that. Uh, even at the tight end position when Cole Komet, I think Nagy was probably a guy that was pounding the table, so to speak, to get a guy like Cole Komet in here for his offense. And now that, you know, it seems like they've turned the page on Mitch Trubisky, uh, you know, Nagy, you know, he came, when he came here to coach the Bears, you know, let's not get it twisted here. Nagy wanted the coach, Mitch Trubisky. He was a big fan of Mitch Trubisky going into that 2017 draft. And one of the reasons why he chose Chicago was because he wanted the chance to coach Mitch Trubisky. It, it, it hasn't worked out, but, you know, let's not do re- revisionist history there to kind of, uh, you know, uh, dispel that theory. But now looking at the fact that Nagy has the opportunity now to get a quarterback in the draft that he wants now, uh, I think that's very exciting going forward because, you know, Ryan Pace, you know, there's been a lot of positives, I think, for his tenure here in Chicago, but there certainly have been a lot of negatives as well. And with the biggest negative being that he just hasn't figured out the quarterback position, um, you know, we'll see if Foles can be a little bit of a bridge guy going forward, like we talked about. But in terms of a long-term franchise quarterback, you know, he's been here for six years and he hasn't found one yet. And he's had a lot of opportunities to do so. And he just hasn't been able to capitalize on it. You know, he made his big move, putting all of his eggs to that basket for Trubisky in the 2017 NFL draft, trading up to get him there at the second overall pick. Um, And it blew up in his face. So we'll see if he's going to get that one last opportunity to go after a quarterback. But I will say this, if he is going to draft a quarterback in this next draft or whether it's in the the year after that, um, I feel a lot more confident with Nagy here uh, to kind of, scout the quarterback himself and kind of give his input to pace on what he wants at that quarterback position for his system. All right. So we're going to move on to uh, some of the key matchups that we're going to be looking forward to for next weekend. Uh, Before we do that though, we're going to take our final break of the show with one last word from our sponsor. And we're back here at picks for pace uh, concluding here with some key matchups to look forward to as whether you're a college football fan, whether you're a draft scout enthusiast type of person looking for some players to watch over the weekend. Uh, We've highlighted three games that I I think both of us are excited to watch this upcoming weekend to see uh, uh, who can develop and who, you know, any players that are going to stand out for us going forward here. And I I think the big one to talk about is North Dakota state uh, playing their only game of the fall going up against central Arkansas at 2.30 on Saturday. You know, over 28 NFL teams will be attending this game, and they're attending it for one reason and one reason only, uh, and that's the chance to check out Trey Lance for the only time in the fall. Uh, you also got Dylan Rednews. He's garnered a lot of hype as well at uh, left tackle for North Dakota State as well. Um, so those are really the two main prospects there. Trey Lance, he's a guy that's gotten a lot of first-round hype as a quarterback, and uh, Dylan Radunes, uh, he's a guy that's gotten a lot of hype as maybe a first round talent at left tackle. So those are two players that I think uh, they're going to be on a lot of scouts' minds going into this weekend. Yeah, so you know, you mentioned Trey Lance, and obviously I just got done about two and a half hours before this watching some of this 2019 tape. And then I know Matt Miller Reach Report wrote an article today about how a lot of people believe that if Lance played a full season, he's the guy that could give Trevor Lawrence a run for his money in terms of who's QB1. And there's supposedly one anonymous QB coach who labeled Lance as QB1. I think Lance is not better than Trevor Lawrence, but he could certainly rise. Now, granted, it's one game, unfortunately, but you could make the argument that some teams will have him as QB2 over Justin Fields, which is why this game on Saturday it's basically like his all-star game. It's his, or like his chance to showcase, hey, this is what I'm made of, and this is why that I think I can do – you know, this is why I think I can play at the next level. For me right now, like with Lance, the two things I really love about him is like he knows how to navigate the pocket, knows when to get in and out of there, and then with that building off it, right, he knows like, all right, so it's time for me to get out of the pocket and then make a lot of like – throws that we saw like 
Pat Mahomes. And I'm not comparing him to Pat Mahomes directly, by the way. I'm just saying that he knows when to get out of the pocket and then go ahead and basically keep plays alive with his legs. Because the last couple of years with, like, the QB situation, we've seen that once the pocket breaks down, the quarterback just tends to really panic. Like, for the Bears specifically, Trubisky just tends to panic. And it's unfortunate because, like, that's the end of the play. That's the end of the play right there. But for Lance, he recognizes that one of my biggest strengths are is my ability to just keep plays alive and then potentially make something happen. Yeah, you speak about Trey Lance being a quarterback two or even quarterback one on a lot of people's boards. Uh, right now, I have Lance as my QB two as of right now. I, you know, I, for a lot of the same reasons that you articulate there, especially with the mobility aspect of his game. Uh, you know, his ability, he ran for over a thousand yards, I think last year. So he's a, he's a huge threat on the ground with his legs to be able to make stuff happens there. And I, and I love how he almost runs like a fullback sometimes running over. Uh, it's clear that obviously the level of competition is, you know, way below his level of talent. So he's going to be dominating guy, guys out there. And he just looks like Andrew Peterson sometimes the way he runs over some of these linebackers and safeties at the level he's playing at. But the, the one thing that impresses me the most about his game is his deep ball accuracy. Um, he throws a beautiful deep ball, and that's something that, especially looking at Matt Nagy's offense, uh, you know, Matt Nagy does a good job of uh, dialing up deep shots in his offense to be able to get guys open down the field. And we just haven't seen uh, Trubisky over the years be able to capitalize on that on a consistent level. And while Nick Foles uh, – does have some ability to do that. I think a guy like Trey Lance with his upside uh, to be able to extend plays out of the backfield and stuff like that, you combine that with his deep ball accuracy to capitalize on that deep ball, uh, that could be something that if the Bears aren't a chance to get a guy like him, uh, could be something that's very intriguing, I think, for Matt Nagy and the Bears going forward. Uh, another game that's going to be featuring some quarterbacks going after it that uh, have some high profile to them as well is Oklahoma going to Iowa State to take on the Cyclones. And the main thing here that I'm watching for is the quarterback matchup between Spencer Rattler and Brock Purdy. Uh, Rattler, he isn't draft eligible, I believe, for next season. He's going into his first year as a starter for Oklahoma. But he's a name to keep in mind, I think, going forward because he's got some special arm talent. And, you know, he, he gets a little bit <laughs> into trouble uh, – putting the ball in harm's way. I think he threw two or three interceptions this last week, week uh, in a loss for Oklahoma. So uh, that's never the greatest thing there. You know, you don't want to be, have a Jameis Winston situation where, you know, you might get a lot of big plays on offense, but you're making up for it by, you know, throwing the ball away and just creating a lot of turnovers. You don't, you definitely don't want to see that situation, but you know, it's early in his career. So that's something that he can iron out, I think, as his, uh, as he gets more experience, but, uh, Rattler is just a guy that has a lot of talent and he feels like a guy that every time he drops back, he's going to do something special either with his legs or making an arm off, making a throw off platform uh, with his throwing arm. And uh, just, just a lot to like about him in an offense like Oklahoma's where he can put up a lot of big numbers. And then with Brock Purdy, we talked about him a little bit. He's a guy that has garnered some attention as maybe the fourth best quarterback in this draft class. Uh, still has a lot to prove, at least for me. I haven't really been impressed by what I've seen so far. Uh, he kind of had a rough interception last week, which is uh, definitely not good to see. So uh, we'll see if he can improve against an Oklahoma defense that, uh, <laughs> you know, isn't very good right now, to say the least. Yeah, so Rattler's one of those guys. I briefly watched the game that they played, and I think, like, with Lincoln Riley leading the way there at Oklahoma, I think that what's kind of happening is that you are going to see, because this is Rattler's first year starting to, right? So obviously there's going to be lots of growing pains that Rattler is going through. And like you said, I mean, with him, he's not a guy necessarily to 100% go ahead and watch in 2020, but someone to kind of keep your eye on for down the road for, let's just say like 2022 or 2023, whenever he is essentially draft eligible. One of those guys that you're like, all right, so look at some of the quarterbacks that have come out the last couple of years under Lincoln Riley. You have Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, who in back-to-back -back years went one overall. I think that this year um, or over the next couple of years, we see Rattler kind of take that next step and just flow with Lincoln Riley because Riley's not leaving Oklahoma anytime soon. I believe that at the college level, he is like the premier mind 
to figure out the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, his track record is as solid as it gets when it comes to developing these young quarterbacks. You know, Baker Mayfield, he's had some success in the NFL so far. I mean, uh, they're still getting it together there in Cleveland. I know he went to a little bit of a dysfunctional uh, situation there, but Kyle Murray certainly looks like the real deal in Arizona. So if Spencer Rattler can start to show some progression here, uh, that's going to be very exciting, maybe not for this upcoming year's draft, but uh, keep in mind for that going forward in 2022, maybe even 2023 uh, for those drafts. And then the last game here that I kind of wanted to touch on was uh, talking about another quarterback, you know, a lot of quarterbacks on our mind here because of the recent situation with Trubisky being benched, but we kind of have to talk about it because it's the number, it's the number one need for the Bears going forward uh, when you look at their draft situation and the last game I want to talk about here is Texas A&M going to Alabama. Uh, I'm curious to see how Kellen Mond, he's a guy that could have come out of the draft last year. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how he does against Alabama's defense because Alabama, of course, is just loaded with defensive talent. You got Dylan Moses. Uh, he looks like the top linebacker probably in the draft, uh, him and Micah Parsons. Uh, you got Patrick Sertan. Uh, he's one of the top cornerbacks in this draft, and they also have some talents on their defensive line as well. When you look at LeBron Ray, Christian Barmore is a guy that I'm really excited to watch. He's a guy that has a ton of talents. And, you know, if the Bears are looking to get an eventual Akeem Hicks uh, replacement, uh, Barmore is a guy that just has a ton of ability, I think, if he's available to the Bears. So that's a game that I'm really intrigued to watch because I want to see how Mon does, but I'm really excited to see all the talent that Alabama has. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball as well, because they got Jalen Waddle, a wide receiver who he could be making a case for the best wide receiver in this draft. I know Jamar Chase is uh, kind of has the lead there, but Waddle has been really impressive so far as well. Yeah, so that Texas A&M Alabama game. I mean, I think for me this year on Alabama, the one prospect I'm watching more than anything is, and I'm throwing this out there as a wild card, by the way, but I'm watching Dylan Moses because a lot of people view Dylan Moses as being the linebacker two in this draft class behind Michael Parsons. He could have declared last year, but Moses had a torn ACL, so he goes back to school. Now, in terms of why I'm watching for Dylan Moses is because Danny Trevathan's lost. It's clear that Danny Trevathan has lost the step, right? We're three games into the season, and it's like, hey, what happened to the Danny Trevathan that played at such a high level in 2018? So with Trevathan getting older, I would say that just looking at things, and the Bears don't have much middle linebacker depth anyway. Roquan Smith's your future, but watch out for Dylan Moses because you know what? If the Bears are in a position next year where they absolutely believe, okay, I know you're locked into Trevathan Field, but like ultimately, you know, selecting, I would not be disappointed if they selected a guy like Dylan Moses either because then you have a great one-two linebacker punch because I think with the way Trevathan is going right now, he is really a He's not the three-down guy that we're used to seeing when he arrived in Chicago four to five years ago. At first, he's now developing to like a two-down linebacker. Yeah, I mean, that's been a huge storyline for the Bears defense so far. It's something that's kind of held them back from playing at an elite level early on this year is uh, Dan Trevathan just not looking like the same player. And I agree with you. There's a lot of talent at linebacker in this next year's draft. And if they have the chance to get a guy, you know, I'm not sure if the first round is the best option since they already took Roquan in the first round a few years back. And, um, you know, we're still waiting to see how, how he will uh, turn out as kind of transitioning now to be the number one guy at that linebacker room. But uh, certainly Trevathan is a situation to monitor all season long because, like you said, I, his, he's basically locked in for three years based off of how his deal is structured. So that is something that could be problematic for this defense if he continues to go on a downward trend. Um, that is very alarming, I think, for the way this defense operates. Um, you know, I think Dan Trevathan, you know, watching him over the past couple of games, it looks like he has been getting better each and every game. I'm not saying he's been good necessarily. He still had his fair share of struggles in space and in coverage last week against the Falcons, but um, hopefully that's something where, you know, with a limited training camp and no preseason that it's a situation where he's trying to get his legs under him a little bit and just get in the shape right now in the early going of the season. And hopefully 
by week five or six, he's he's back to the Trevathan of old where he's running around sideline to sideline, making plays in the backfield and looking good in coverage. But uh, you're right. Linebacker is definitely concerned. There's not a lot of depth there right now. And there really isn't an option there long-term outside of Roquan, who um, has looked good in the early going of the season. You know, you have to say that for sure. But uh, you need two linebackers in this 3-4 hybrid defense that the Bears are running right now. And uh, especially if you want to run a lot of nickel and dime coverages, specifically nickel as your base defense, which Chuck Pagano seems to want to do, then you need two linebackers out there that can cover and can stop the run. And right now, Trevathan's not getting the job done. And if you've got Dylan Moses, I'm not sure if that would be the best move in the first round, but uh, it would be tough to pass on a guy like Dylan Moses because he is a special talent and he has a lot of ability um, you put him next to Roquan, I think that's one of the better young linebacker duos in the NFL for a long time. Yeah, and that's the reason that I kind of said it's not like – so linebacker right now, you know, you're right. Trevathan could figure it out, and we could be sitting here in mid-November, December, even mid-October, and be like, okay, that's great. So Trevathan seems to play at a high level. But then at the same time, it's just like you still have to monitor that whole situation because if Trevathan doesn't pan out, the next offseason some way, somehow – the Bears are going to have to figure out a way to shore up the depth behind him because we've seen as players get older in this league, then they get into their 30s like Trevathan's getting into now. Players do get slower, right? They lose a step, and they're not the same players that we may have been accustomed to seeing, like I just mentioned a couple moments ago. And so that's the reason that I say, like, linebacker's still a position that they will have to in some way, shape, or form address next season. Or, I'm sorry, next offseason, throwing, you know, that's why I feel like Moses out there is a wild card. But there is someone from Michigan as well, Cam McGrone. I think that he's like a prospect that you look at and you're like, okay, well, obviously potential is there. If we're going to stick to Trevathan for the next two seasons, basically 2021 and 2022, maybe you do go draft a guy like McGrone, right, who's a redshirt sophomore from Michigan, by the way. You draft him, you know, develop him, and all of a sudden, come 2023, he's ready to fully take over. So these are the types of things where, like, you know, you can make certain moves next offseason that could still have major – and people will question them, but those types of move, moves could have a major benefit for years and years and years to come. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what the draft is. It's thinking not just about this next season. It's about the year after that. And three or four years from now, what's your team going to look like? Who are the guys that you're building around? That is absolutely the situation you want to be in with the draft is you're not looking just at uh, this next year. We have to look three or four years down the line and, and see, you know, the long-term outlook of our team. Uh, but with that said, I think this is a good time to conclude this episode of the Pick for Pace podcast. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace and also follow the Bear Report on Twitter as well at Bear Report. Uh, you say we're going to follow you on Twitter. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Usaid Koshul. That's U-S-A-Y-D-K-O-S-H-U-L. I post all my sports stuff on Instagram and Twitter. I'm active on there. DMs are open on all platforms. So you can reach out to me if you just want to talk football. If you want me on your podcast, I'd be willing to come on. My schedule works out. But, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Usaid Koshul, guys. Absolutely. And you can follow me as well at AJ Freeman 25 on Twitter. Uh, thanks again to our lit listeners for tuning in. We look forward to sharing more Bears draft content going forward here. Keep an eye out for our next episode, which should be dropping in the next upcoming weeks or so. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.